Let's pray. Father, like Isaiah, we stand before you as sinful people. And like Isaiah, we need your cleansing, and we are grateful that you do purify us and make us holy. And so, Lord, here we are. Lord, here we are before you. And here is your word. And we ask that you speak to us, encourage us, and work in us through your word. Amen. So before we jump into the sermon for today, I want to give you a little bit of a a sense of the preaching schedule coming up. This is the almost last sermon in the book of Haggai, but we're going to take a couple weeks off and then come back to it. Next week, Todd Van Eck, who is the leader of Mission India, is going to be here to share with us. It's going to be a, a mission emphasis sort of Sunday. And, you know, Todd is, is a very busy guy and doesn't usually preach, but we have a very persuasive mission committee. And especially Don Osman is a very persuasive mission committee chair. So we managed to get Todd Van Eck on our schedule. Again, leader of Mission India. He'll be here next week to share with us about the church around the world. So please come and, and I think we'll really be encouraged by hearing how much the gospel is spreading in India. The Lord is at work. After that, it'll be Thanksgiving week. Again, you're invited to come on Thanksgiving Day. We'll gather at 10 o'clock for a service of giving thanks and praising the Lord for all He's done for us. And then the Sunday after Thanksgiving, Mac will be back. Mac Wiener will be preaching for us, and he'll be kicking off an Advent series on a number of prophetic texts that point us toward Christmas and the coming of Jesus. And then after that, we'll finish up the book of Haggai, and then we'll go to Ezekiel and Isaiah, and again, just work through a number of prophetic texts that really point us toward the coming of Jesus, and we'll land on John 1 around Christmas time. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. So that's what we have coming up the next few weeks. I hope you're able to be here to celebrate with us, to celebrate those holidays, most of all, to celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ who came to us. So that's, that's the picture going forward. Looking back where we've been in Haggai leading up to this text, Haggai opens with, and it's, it's a series of sermons basically, Haggai opens with the prophet Haggai hearing the word of the Lord and giving it to the people and saying, you people are not following the Lord. You've been back, you were, okay, you were in exile for a while, you came back, you haven't built the temple, you haven't built God's house. You built your own houses, not God's house. Build God's house. And then, in a tremendously strange turn of events for a prophetic book, the people are obedient, and they go and they start building God's house. It's amazing. But then it seems like they get discouraged after a few weeks, and Haggai has to come to them again and, and remind them that the Lord is at work, and that they should continue, continue, continue. And the Lord is with them, and the Lord will be near them. And the focus is not so much on the building as, as, as on the Lord's presence within their lives. And then we get a few weeks more down the road in the fall of 520 B.C., and we we come to the text that we read for today. And for us, it's been a week since we last read Haggai, but in the text, it's been about two months. It seems like the people have made some good progress on the temple, but, but again, the Lord speaks to them through Haggai, and it seems like, again, again, Haggai is pointing out some ways that things aren't quite right. But now, instead of being externally focused, they've made some real progress forward. And so now Haggai points more toward the people's hearts and what God might want to do with them internally. 
So we're going to read Haggai 2, 10 to 19 this morning, and then we'll also read a bit from John 15 that brings this text forward to the time of Jesus and to our own time. With all that background, let's read the word of the Lord from Haggai 2 and then from John 15. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, No. Then Haggai said, If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of twenty measures, there were only ten. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were only twenty. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. And then we turn to John 15, and we'll read just the first three verses there. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples and also to us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. This is the word of the Lord. So you probably know the story of King Midas. He was a a figure in Greek mythology. And there was a point when King Midas did a favor for the god of parties, Dionysus. And so this, this god said, I'll give you anything you want, one request. And what Midas wished for was the touch of gold. He wished that anything he touched became gold. And the god said, done, there you go, see you later. And so Midas goes around and he starts touching things and and it turns to gold. And he goes to the next thing and it turns to gold. And maybe he goes out in his garden and he touches some trellis and he touches some things in his garden and they, they all turn to gold, everything, everything turns to gold. And he sits down on his throne for a moment and he touches his throne and his throne turns to gold. And he's so excited that he gets up and just keeps running around his palace touching everything and maybe even going through his city touching thing after thing after thing. And, and finally after, boy, after a lot of running around and turning everything he can to gold, he he gets a little bit peckish, so he decides to sit down for a meal, and he sits down and maybe turns his chair to gold. Hey, hey! Turns the table to gold. Man, this is great! Picks up some bread, and what happens? The bread turns to gold. Hey, that's amazing! He picks up the next thing. The next thing turns to gold. That's cool, but I'm still hungry. Picks up the next thing. 
turns to gold. He tries not to look and maybe try to sneak up on the food, and by the time he gets it to his mouth, it's turned to gold. And he thinks, well, this is a problem. By now he's thirsty, so he decides to go and get himself a drink, and, and as he grabs the bowl of wine, the bowl turns to gold, and the drink turns to liquid gold. And he yells in frustration because now he's hungry and he's thirsty and he's got a headache because all this gold is, is glinting and his daughter comes in and he panics and he, he grabs his daughter to tell her what's going on and he turns his daughter to gold. And he looks around at his golden palace and his golden garden and his golden throne and his golden table and his golden food and his golden drink and his golden family and he realizes that what he thought was was a wonderful gift is actually a curse. And all this gold that he thought would make his life better and better is actually, it's actually going to kill him. It's actually a touch of pollution and trouble, not a touch of benefit and wealth, because he's going to starve to death in the midst of all this gold. There's a Switchfoot song that works through this story along with a couple others, and it has a, has a line in it, a heart of gold can't beat at all. And King Midas realizes that, that really he's a dead man. With this touch of gold, he has sentenced himself to a long and miserable, lonely, frightening death. The touch of gold just pollutes his life. And that's where Haggai begins. And that's our first point for today, that, that pollution, that spiritual pollution in particular spreads. Often what we think is a touch of gold, what we think is this wonderful, wonderful gift or this lifestyle that looks so attractive, well, it turns out that it actually doesn't give us what we want and, in fact, in the end, gives us a death sentence. Now, I suspect that having read through that text, at least the first five or six or ten times I read through it, I was kind of confused and, and what is going on here? So I... I expect that you may be having that similar reaction. If not, you are a smarter person than I am. But let's work through it. Haggai starts with this exercise where he goes to the priest and he asks, if you take this holy thing and you touch something else, does it become holy? And the priests say, no, 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 holiness doesn't spread like that. But then Haggai gives this example. If you touch a dead body, which is ritually unclean and polluted, and then you touch something else, does that thing become polluted? Does it become defiled? Does it become impure? And the priests say, oh, yes, yes, that spreads. That spreads. Purity, holiness, nope, doesn't spread. But impurity, being defiled, pollution, oh, yes, that spreads. And the priest's answer there actually goes back to Leviticus 6, if you want to check it out. They're, they're getting God's law exactly right, that these kinds of defilements, these kinds of pollutions, do in fact spread. And so as one of God's people, you had to be really careful what you came in contact with because, because if you came in contact with pollution, it would pollute you. And then you would pollute other people and other things. And if we think about this in terms of pollution, it makes sense, right? You wouldn't you wouldn't pour gas in your coffee or antifreeze in your water and say, well, only part of it's polluted. It's not the whole thing. Go ahead and drink it. No. If it's polluted, it's polluted. And that's the message that, that Haggai wants the people to have in mind. And then he applies it and he says to the people, you are polluted. You are polluted. You have been in contact with 
And you know, Haggai doesn't actually list out their sins, which leaves us some, some room to wonder and to speculate, and I think also leaves us some room to bring it home to ourselves. Haggai doesn't say, this exactly was the problem. He just says, this is the state that you're in. This is where you are. And if you remember when we talked about Haggai 1, the, the people seemed like they were fairly comfortable where they were. Their lives were not incredibly easy, but, but they had it okay. But Haggai in chapter 1 and now again in chapter 2 says, you really aren't okay. You really are not. Your lives are polluted, you're defiled, and, and it isn't getting better on its own. The word of the Lord, well, it comes to us, and, and perhaps it says that same thing to us today. Are we, are we polluted? Are there things in our lives that we love that are so exciting that we, we go around and we touch this and we touch that and we go here and we go there and it seems so wonderful, but, but then we realize that what we're actually doing is taking things that should be feeding us and should be building up our lives and, and we're turning them into things that actually don't give life and that actually leave us spiritually dead. And that's the challenge that Haggai has for all of us. What what are we doing? How are we doing it that in fact is, is spreading pollution and ultimately spreading death in our lives instead of life? Bonnie and I read from the Heidelberg Catechism earlier and it, it gave some tests to discern if what we're doing is really righteous. And I think if we honestly asked ourselves, are we doing everything out of true faith in God? Everything? Are we doing everything that, that everything that we do, do conforms to God's law perfectly? I mean, perfectly? Mm. Are we doing everything for God's glory or for ourselves or for other... What? Uh, we, we are a polluted people. And so often the things that look good to us, the things that we might ask for, are actually things that are not good for us. That in fact, instead of building us up and making us better, actually harm us. They're actually toxic for us. Now, I want to, I want to offer you a couple paths forward from this, but, but I want to first acknowledge that it's really hard to, to open up ourselves and to admit the ways that we get it wrong. We all have so many self-defense mechanisms and so many excuses and so many things that distance us from what we know we shouldn't be doing. We are good at deceiving ourselves. And part of that is because it's too painful to face the reality of who we are. Very few human beings, very, very few human beings want, by themselves want to dig into all the mess in their lives. And so I want to invite you to do that, but I want to invite you to do that not by yourself, but in the power of the Lord. I want to invite you to hear the Lord coming to you and saying to you, even to you, even to us, you people, you people, you think you have the touch of gold, but what you're really doing is killing yourselves slowly. And the point is not to wallow in that or to get stuck there, but 
but to have us open up even our deepest wounds so that the Lord can bring us His deepest healing. And in Haggai 2, that's, that's what the Lord says He's been at work doing for His people. He says that He's been pruning His people. Now, he doesn't use exactly those words in Haggai. He does use those words in John 15. But that's, that's, I think, an accurate sense of what he's doing. You know, King Midas, when he finally realizes that he sentenced himself to death, he weeps and he wails and, and he looks around and he looks at his golden throne and his golden palace and his golden everything and he realizes that, that it's all worthless. And so he goes back to the God, the God of parties, and he, he begs and he pleads and he wails and he whines and he says, take this gift away. I don't want it anymore. Midas himself realizes, realizes what he's done to himself. But it seems like the people here in Haggai too, and often we don't realize what we're doing to ourselves. We don't realize how much we're getting it wrong. We don't realize how much we're missing the mark. We just don't see it. And even when we try to dig into our own motivations, we often fool ourselves and, and we often get it wrong. And so God acts. And God is so gracious that He steps in even before we recognize our need. In verse 15, the Lord tells the people to pay careful attention, give careful thought. Go to a deeper level here. And then he takes them back a few months to before they started working on the temple to, to the time that Haggai came to them and said, look, your lives are empty. There, there's no real life here. Look at it. And the Lord reminds them of that. And he says, remember then when, when you thought you had 20 measures of food and, and you actually went and you had 10? And you thought you had 50 measures of wine and when you actually got to the vat there were only 20? be like every time you went to your bank account, it was, it was half full, and you didn't know where the money went. Every time you got in your car, the gas was almost gone, even though you hadn't driven it anywhere. And the Lord says, and the Lord says, and this is, this is a hard verse to swallow, but the Lord says, I've been doing that. I have been striking the work of your hands. I've been sending winds from the desert to come in and dry out your crops. I've been sending wind off the sea to bring rot and mildew so that you would pay attention. I have been taking away what you thought was so wonderful because it was taking you away from me. The Lord had emptied out the trellis of of the people of Haggai's time because they weren't paying attention to him. And so because they had no spiritual life, no real life, well, the Lord was was striking their crops and causing them some real challenges. In Calvin's commentary on this text, he, he has quite a lot to say, but one of the lines that really jumped out to me is when he said, the deprivation of earthly blessings, the taking away of things, hardship, is sometimes, sometimes, not always, but is sometimes the way in which God teaches His people to lay up treasure in heaven. The Lord recognizes where our golden touch will get us, even when we don't. And then the Lord sets out to prune us. And pruning can be a painful process. 
It hurts. We don't like it. There are some real losses involved when the Lord gets to work on us. But the first step toward really vibrant life as God's people is this step of pruning. In John 15, Jesus tells us he's the true vine and God the Father is the gardener. And then Jesus says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Haggai invites the people to look at their lives and to recognize how how God has been at work. And how there have been parts of their lives that weren't right, that weren't working, that were leading them to terrible places, and how God has been pulling up those weeds and cutting off those branches and bringing them to a better place. Now, I want to I want to invite us as a church to really lean into that reality and to really embrace it. But I recognize that this is, this is a hard ask. And so again, I only want you to go there, and I only want us to go there if we go there with the Lord leading and guiding and the Spirit empowering us. But I think it's worth asking the question, how is the Lord pruning you? How is the Lord pruning your life? And how is the Lord, how has the Lord been pruning our church, and and how does He intend to prune us as we go forward? This has been, from every pastor I've talked to, every church I've heard about, this has been an incredibly hard season. America has been on a track towards secularization and and less and less Christianity for a long time, and I think the last couple years is has probably moved us forward a decade or more in that process of people drifting out of the church and the culture becoming more opposed to Christianity. And perhaps that's, well, not perhaps, that is something we have to wrestle with, but perhaps it's also a way the Lord is pruning us. Perhaps the Lord is making us uncomfortable so that we draw closer to Him and so that we actually grow instead of just hanging out with the status quo. So I hope and I pray that we can be brave enough to embrace the pruning, that we can ask the Lord to come in and really work in us and not, well, for no other reason than because we know the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And so whatever He does for us, He cares for us. And there are some hardships that that I don't think we can say they're in the pruning category, they're just life is broken and it's hard. But maybe there are some hardships that we could ask ourselves, how is the Lord at work through this? And God, by rights, could leave us there, and that would be important, but but He doesn't. He goes on, and the Lord promises to provide for His people. We've talked about kind of the negative, the pruning side, but then the Lord goes on, and in verses 18 and 19, He really promises that He will provide. Again, he tells the people, and twice in these verses, he tells the people, pay attention, give careful thought to this. Now, verse 18 is a bit difficult. We aren't totally sure what that means. But it seems like God is speaking to the people at a point now where they've planted for the year. They've put all their crops out, they've done all of that, but they haven't yet seen anything come out. They're at that point where they've put things in the ground and and it's still all empty. And the Lord promises them in that in-between time that He will grow the vine. 
that He will provide the fruitfulness, that He will give them what they need to thrive. In that in-between time, the Lord has Haggai close this sermon with the promise, I will bless you. I will bless you. You're in this season where where you're between planting and harvesting and, and there's lots of worry and lots of concern, but I will bless you. You will grow in the vine and there will be great fruitfulness. So in closing, I want to invite all of us to reflect, along with reflecting on some of the harder things, to also reflect on how the Lord has been faithful and how He is building you and building us up. And I want to mention just a couple things briefly for our church. We've, we're having a strange ministry year. COVID is still around more than we thought it'd be, but, but our ministries are running. We're helping our children grow in the faith. We're gathering to study God's Word. We're, we're gathering to spend good time together. We're, we're serving our community around us. And, and are we doing all of those things as well as we could or as well as we hope to be down the road? No, but we are doing them. The Lord has been at work to draw us back together after a really hard time. And we're in the midst of this healthy church discernment process. We're, we're, talking, we're talking together. We're sharing what's on our hearts. And, and if you've been at some of those meetings, if you were there a couple weeks ago at the congregational conversation, we're talking to each other in a way we never have before. And again, are we all the way there? Absolutely not. But I think we can see how the Lord is at work. And so I invite you to reflect on how the Lord is at work in you, in all of us, and to give thanks because the Lord is blessing us. He prunes us, yes, but He prunes us to bring us closer to Him. We are in the vine. We are connected to Jesus Christ, and so we are clean. We are holy. We are made right And the Lord promises that He will bless us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You give us Your blessing. We ask that You give us the strength we need to turn away from sin and to let go of what You might want to prune out of our lives. And Father, we pray that You help that, even the painful parts of growing, for us to be joy and delight because we are growing closer to You. Lord, apart from you, we have nothing, and so we ask that you give us your blessing. Amen.